Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems around the world adopt technology, with me, Tiasha Zaitz. This episode is the second about the evolution of mental health companies. In the previous episode, you could listen to Katie DiPurna-Cook, SVP of Partnerships at Headspace Health, the leading digital mental health provider in the world. Today, we are continuing the discussion about mental health with Luke Hale, CEO of Timely MD, which focuses on mental health of students in the US, and Michael Mouse, CCO of Iris Telehealth, which is the leading telehealth provider of telepsychiatry services for mental health systems and community health centers across the US. Luke and Michael talked about the state of mental health in the younger population and how the two companies navigate the turbulent times for mental health companies, how they look at digital innovation and digital therapeutics entering the space, and just the general increased need for mental health services. According to Luke, 9 out of 10 students say that they're dealing with anxiety. And as mentioned by Michael Mouse, only one out of four people that actually need mental health services search for them. So three out of four people who could use mental health services don't even look for help. Enjoy the discussion, and if you will like what you hear, do subscribe to the show to be notified about new episodes automatically. Also, check out the link to our newsletter. You can find the link in the show notes. The newsletter only comes out once a month, so you can get an overview of the past topics and decide if you want to dive into the whole discussion of any of the episodes. Now let's go to today's topic. start with a very general question as a warm-up. How would you assess uh, the current state of mental health? Maybe you can focus on the population that TimelyMD is covering and then we can go to the more severe forms of mental health disorders, which is what Iris Health is focusing on. Yeah, let's start with TimelyMD. Luke Hale, Timely MD. Our, at Timely MD, our mission is to improve the health and well-being of students, and we do that by providing virtual medical and mental health care. When I think about the current state of mental health, we at Timely MD we think about it through the lens of students or young adults. And one of the things that we have learned by talking to students all across the nation and doing some survey work and looking at work that other groups have done from a research standpoint is 9 out of 10 students indicate that their campus is in a full-blown mental health crisis. And so that metric right there is pretty powerful. Another one that I can share just to bring to light the how things have shifted. Prior to COVID, 10% of all of our visits were focused on mental health. And at this point, close to 80% of all of the visits that we have with students are, are related to mental health. So the need has never been greater from a higher education perspective. College presidents indicate in the ACE study that uh, that's done every year, and it has been this case for a couple years at this point, it's one of the top priorities in higher education is to look at and invest in ways to 
support their student population from a mental health perspective. Perhaps just a quick follow-up question there. During the pandemic, people were isolated, which is where a lot of issues arose from. So I'm wondering, what do you see now that people are back to normal? Campuses are open again. Students are able to see their friends. How is that? Do you see any impact in a positive way on the mental health there? Or has have things that have been formed during the pandemic now started to arise on the surface? I would say that we learned a lot of things in COVID. Loneliness and isolation were definitely top of the list for topics that came up with students during that time. One of the things I know that we all know, I think, is that the impact of COVID and, and the result of feeling isolated is that students are trying to, in some ways, figure out what's it like to be on campus again or to have friends in person. And even though we're, what, a year into reentry, it still has a significant impact on the populations that we serve. And that's apparent by an increased need and usage. And what we're seeing is the top concerns, while they might not be isolation anymore, a good majority of students indicate that they struggle with anxiety and depression. And when you look at some segments of the populations that we serve, think about the the student athlete who came in their freshman year with a scholarship to kill it, and then all of a sudden they're sent home for a year. What has that done, not only to that for that year of their life, but for the rest of their life? And so they're trying to figure out how to work out of that. So I think the best way we could can think about it is through different lenses and personas like that to but at the end of the day, I think, yeah, COVID had a huge impact. I think anxiety and depression are probably two most often used words that we have gotten used to in the public discourse. They've been very normalized. But what do we talk about when we talk about more serious mental health issues, which is what Iris Telehealth focuses on? Yeah, you bet. So my name is Mike Moss. I'm our chief commercial officer. And we deal more in the serious mental illness, the higher end. And we, our target markets are community mental health centers, federally qualified health centers and hospitals and health systems. Those are the markets we serve. And so like you, we're seeing the same thing, Luke. And that is the suicide ideation happens when somebody presents in your setting and they elevate and you need to get them to see a provider sooner rather than later. So our entire focus is on improving access. And we want to ensure that we get it to the right provider at the right time. And so we are partnering with these health systems who have had a surge of patients during the pandemic. And they, I think of one in rural Pennsylvania, 18,000 patients waiting to see a psychiatrist and they couldn't deal with it. And so we put together a pod of LCSWs, a nurse, a psychiatric nurse practitioner and doctors. So in case they needed to elevate and we started doing an intake with each of those patients, which would then we would either put them into therapy with the goal of returning them to primary care, or we would elevate them to the appropriate level of care, whether it's that nurse practitioner or that doc. And we would make sure we got them stabilized. Again, with the whole goal of getting back to primary care, getting back to what was becoming normal. And like you said, we're finding it, especially in children and adolescents, and we're seeing a significant increase. Like 75% of counties in our country do not have a child psychiatrist. They don't have enough. It is a massive problem. And you're seeing it all the way up in the college area for sure. The 18,000 patients that you mentioned, are those people that were looking for psychiatrists the first time? Those, I don't know if they were all looking for the first time, but those are the ones that raised their hands. We're not even talking about 
the three out of four patients that are out there that don't raise their hand. Those are the ones that you're probably starting to see more and more of now at, uh, at your company. So wh- one thing that I was wondering is, so to which extent do you also focus on anxiety and depression versus things like schizophrenia, bipolar disorders, and those kinds of mental health conditions? So in those 18,000 patients, 60% of those which was higher than we initially thought when we started to attack the problem with that health system, 60% actually were anxiety, depression. We could handle them with an LCSW doing therapy. They just wanted somebody to talk to, and they wanted somebody to get into a program. There were still another 40% that needed some quick medication management to get things aligned with their meds and or had schizophrenia and other pieces. Our goal was to keep them out of the emergency department because the emergency departments are overwhelmed as well. So we're trying to catch them beforehand because we can catch them at the emergency department with our client partners, but we're trying to get them ahead of time where we can. Did you by any chance see any trends in terms of the state of the disease with patients with bipolar disorders? Or? No, it was about the same as we'd seen before. It just It was interesting. We don't even talk about Simone Biles anymore, but when she pulled out of the Olympics, it allowed people to realize that, hey, I, it's okay for me to raise my hand and go ask for some help. And we saw that with other athletes. I think that lowered the stigma. I don't know if you're feeling the same way around the stigma coming down, which is why we're seeing such an increase in anxiety and depression that people are asking for help in their schools and in universities for sure. You also mentioned the kind of the overwhelming pressure on just the providers because of the low capacity of mental health experts. What are the waiting times that, you know, patients or users of your solutions face and how do you approach the workforce shortages? Yeah, so making sure that we have the right providers at the right time is something that's always top of mind for us, especially in a time where the need's never been greater for students. And we're launching, we're launching new campuses every single month. And with that, makes requires us to look and we've, we have to do some predictive modeling on what's needed for that campus to make sure that not only do we have the right amount of providers, but we have the right, the right type of providers. So we're looking at what are the, what are, we have an assessment that's done on the campus, on the student body. What is, what is, what do the ethnicities look like on campus? What does the LGBTQ plus community look like? What are the faith-based needs of students to make sure that we're building the right provider network? So it is about having the right volume of providers, but again, it's about the right providers. And back to the question, our goal, or I would say our, our right now our, our average and is our goal to keep it there, time to care for an on-demand mental health visit is under five minutes. And we also really work to have resources available within just a number of days for students that go into uh, to schedule a, a scheduled counseling visit as well. On the psychiatry side as well, we're working hard to make sure that there's visits readily available and we work hand in hand with the care team on campus typically to, to manage that demand. But um, it's challenging to make sure that you have the right providers. What one thing that we have working for us at Timely MD is our mission. And so it's attracting really great providers who have a heart for delivering care to students is something that we're really focused on. 
and making sure that we build not only a great team, but that our team is working to make sure that provider engagement is really high by doing things like a very specific training. For example, I think last Friday we kicked off a series with our mental health providers on how to how specifically to work with student athletes from a mental health lens, right? Some of the things that athletes are struggling with right now and how can we train our providers to, to support them better. It certainly is a challenge, but one that we are working every day to overcome to make sure that a student has access to care at the right time. It depends on which piece of our business we're talking about, but in the emergency department, when we are partnering with a client there, our goal is to be, we're answering the phone when the ED calls our call center within minutes, actually within seconds, we're always within seconds, and we're working with a telecare coordinator, and then we are doing a doc-to-doc discussion around that patient, what's their physical elements as well as their psychiatric elements, and then we're on camera with a goal within an hour for that patient. We do a full intake. And the whole goal of that is to stabilize the patient and to either get them admitted, discharged, or transferred. At the end of the day, we want to get them out of the discharge in the hospital because too often those patients are just sitting in the ED. And that's not good for the patient. It's not good for the family. It's really not good for the staff either. And that's the part a lot of folks don't think about is the pressure it puts on the hospital staff to have. We've seen patients sitting in an ED for days if even weeks, because they can't get them stabilized. And so we want to get ahead and help get those patients shored up. When we think about this pot of LCSWs, and again, we launched LCSWs in 2020 because the pandemic really showed that we needed to get ahead of this and get more providers that could handle the lower acuity patients, the medium acuity patients, because we had nothing but psychiatrists and nurse practitioners. And that's too heavy of, sure, they can do the work, but it's not maximizing and getting their, to work at the top of their license. We've been a nice magnet as well, like you, the type of partners that we align with around community mental health and those hospitals. We, we're a joint commission accredited. We're only doing behavioral health. We're only doing telehealth. So we're very focused on that with a concierge service that allows doctors to be doctors and let the providers just focus on taking care of patients. And we have those choices of patient care. Both of your companies have been around way before the pandemic even started. And I'm wondering to which extent do you see that kind of from the business perspective, the turbulent time is over because there was a big spike during the pandemic. But now, you know, a lot of people are searching for mental health because the consequences of the pandemic are coming by with a delay. At the same time, if insurance companies were super open to paying for telehealth visits during the pandemic, that's decreasing. Now, how are you shaping the services that you are providing and where do you see that the development is going to turn to in the upcoming year? Yeah, I think we're far from being over with a surge in mental health need. The way that we keep a pulse on it is, again, looking at what are the needs of students and where are they accessing care, but also what are other ways that we can work to solve that problem within higher education. So Mike just mentioned the staff in an ED, right, and the stress that brings them. So similarly in higher education, faculty and staff on campus, right, solving the mental health crisis for students is becoming increasingly important to also solve it for the faculty and staff on campus and making sure that they have the resources they need. And we're working hard to do that in higher education as well. So additionally, there's some things that we're working on to make sure that students can navigate through uh 
different modalities of care to the solution that they need. Um, we're working on some self-care content where a student could navigate and, and work on their own in conjunction with some content or maybe with one of, the, one of our providers on things like anxiety and how to deal with that. Sleep habits is another one that really impacts mental health. And what we found also is that the end of each session that we have with the student or after they're done using our technology, they, <clears throat> we ask the question, excuse me, what would you have done if you didn't have access to care? And 60% of the students said they would have done nothing. And so the outcome of that could be, you don't have to use your imagination when talking about student populations these days and the things that we're seeing with suicides and other things of where that could lead. Investing in the right areas is important. We've also got a strong focus at Timely MD right now in making sure and investing in measurement-based care. So making sure that we're looking at and tracking the outcomes of the way that we're structuring and delivering care. So one nugget I can share, I think we we published something yesterday, is that 75% of students who talk to one of our mental health providers see an improvement in their mental health. And it's critically important that we look at the resources that we're providing to students, the way that we're both selecting and training our provider team. Substance use is misuse is something that we see on a regular basis, and we don't have specific resources within TimelyMD to handle substance misuse for students. But um, for each one of our partnerships, we have what we call the client card, and we have access to all the resources available to that student on campus or in the community. And so many times our either one of our providers or one of our care coordinators is pointing that student to that next step in care. And at Irish Telehealth, it's interesting because usually when we talk about healthcare and innovation, everybody's used to just things happening very slowly. But I would imagine that in your case, it's actually, as I said, like quite a wavy period where things are moving and changing very rapidly. It did. I remember a decade ago, we kept behavior health and physical health separated. We didn't want to talk about them together. And now we're talking about whole person health. That was a huge move. We also, some states didn't want to reimburse the same for telehealth as they did for on-site health. The pandemic put the toothpaste out of the tube and it's not going back in. The reimbursement's still getting set. There's some uneasiness around it still. But I think the federal government's stand up, stepping up, doing some nice things with the CCBHC program and others to show the support there. So again, we're not going to run out of patients. There's always going to be plenty here because folks are coming forward more often. I think about it as when we launched our LCSWs, that was an innovative thing for us to now a third of our 350 providers are LCSWs. That was a, a getting, getting the right patient to the right level of care. We also have done with the 18,000 patients, we've created new care pathways and new care teams to coordinate to take on that specific cohort of patients. I'm also thinking about, and we as a company, or how do we partner with technology? Is it built by our partner? From a technology perspective, we've been very proud to be technology agnostic because we're easy to adopt from a telehealth platform or into your EMR where we do that work. But there's also a chance to work with a digital health provider that does the low acuity, even up to the mid acuity that can help track the patient. They can have an anxiety moment in a crowded restaurant and they could go through something on their phone quickly to help calm them down. They don't need to go see an LCS dub. They don't need to see a doctor for that. So how do we partner with other folks? That's one of the reasons we're here to see where that can look and how we can bring the total solution to these health systems and, and community health centers. 
a great cue for the next questions. A lot of technology uh, has already been around before the pandemic for mental health. A lot of it has been further developed and accelerated during the pandemic. So one thing that I'm wondering is uh, how do you partner with the likes of digital therapeutics that are addressing mental health issues? Do you have any partnerships? Because even prescribing digital therapeutics requires the workforce to be aware of the solutions, requires the workforce to trust those solutions. So it's not exactly straightforward to to connect the two dots. It's a great question. And the way that we're solving for this and trying to think differently about reaching students in a different way is by innovation within our technology. And one example of that is our self-care content. So it's not a digital therapeutic. Creating that content and that experience could at some point turn into a digital therapeutic. If you ask any student on campus or any administrator, where do students go first when they need support? It's their peers. So we created our a peer community, and they're asking that community questions that can help them solve many times everyday problems, and sometimes it goes a little bit deeper. And we're doing that in a very safe way, where if there is a critical conversation that comes up, we've got a team that intervenes and gets them to the right provider. But everything from my, my roommate's I'm having a hard time talking to my roommate about turning the light off at night so I can go to bed. And something deeper might be, I'm a first-year student, been on campus for four months and haven't made any friends. What do I do? And it's really awesome to see how the students respond to that and help that student come up to a potential resolution. Back to your question, I think potentially there's some partnership opportunities to use something that has proven results. But things are changing so quickly I think it's also important to understand what motivates the population that you're serving, where they go first, like I just talked about with community, and solve solve within the framework that you have to, but then also layering in that measurement of understanding, is this working? And if yes, how can you continue to innovate in that way or push more students in that direction? And if not, make a pivot and point students in in another direction. We are early in our partnerships with digital therapeutics or digital companies that are doing that. We are in the middle looking for, in our current business, we have to find the provider. We have to find the client partner, and then we need to make the match for that long-term forever match, as we call it. But now we have to bring in another partner. That's a bigger dance. So we need to make sure we're very clear on the case and the type of challenge we're going to cover. We also need to be very clear on the outcome that we're looking to achieve, whether it's a savings from their population on how they're going to save X amount of dollars from patients hitting the emergency department, therefore freeing up that bed for other needs. So that's where we are. We're in that piece of getting in the nitty-gritty of how a patient enters which path do they go? How do we partner together? When do they come to Iris? When do we push them back down to the digital side? How do we engage with the EMR? Because at the end of the day, they need to be able to have that patient feedback into their primary care EMR so that the primary care can, and everyone else in that care team can see what's going on. But it's early. What's the, the range, the age range of patients that you deal with mostly? It's the children from... Six, maybe probably eight, all the way up to geriatrics. So the reason you can't go much below six or below eight or so, we are telepsychiatry. And you do a lot of play therapy with children. You can't do play therapy when you're doing telehealth. So we see the teens and adolescents all the way up to those in the geriatric space. So 
One thing that I'm not sure we can answer, but it would be interesting if we could, is what are the differences that you see in the way that kind of coping mechanisms are developed in different populations? Is it possible to talk about that? Do you see any differences between how different age groups manage mental health? Because I would imagine on campuses, students talk a lot more. You've got stronger communities than you have when people are adult, living alone. Mental health is destigmatized. So I would imagine there that perhaps a new level of compassion is visible among students, that it's easier for them to just open up to their friends. So what? where is that hypothesis? What does the data say about that? I don't have any data that I can share with you in response to that question, but what I can say is that it has destigmatized, I think, is taking it too far. In fact, I was talking to, uh, I've had several conversations with young people who have just entered the workforce uh, here at Health and are doing awesome things for their organizations. But um, one of the things that came up in, in both of those conversations was that we've made progress there, but we're, we're, we haven't gotten to the goal line on people, on even young adults, feeling comfortable talking about the need for access to care. It's a good, because I'm just thinking, you, you gave me food for thought, are we just talking about mental health more in the public discourse, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's easier to say, I have mental health issues. And because I think if you say that, there's this impression that you don't have mental health issues for a day. And maybe the worry is that now if you tell someone that person is going to see you differently forever. Because like, even if you just get through anxiety and depression, it's still a sensitive subject, especially because you don't just get cured mental health issues. They often fluctuate. They can come back. Interesting stat I heard this morning. Half of Americans will have some sort of psychiatric need throughout their life. You think about life, that's a long time. Only one in four will actually seek help. So three out of four will not. Even today, even today, three out of four will not seek help even though they need it. Yes, it has been destigmatized. But I, another thing I hear, I'm curious if you're hearing this too, and you see it, Luke, is in the employer space, they're afraid to raise their hand with their, even a digital therapeutic, because they're afraid their employer is going to find out about it. And there could be a stigma there that now I'm in a, I might be looked differently within my own company. And then this remote work is thrown challenges for me as a leader. 100% of my company is remote, which is great 99% of the time. But there are times where it would be nice to have been together, get a conference, get together in a meeting, calm situations, look everybody in the eye. There's a, that's another challenge that we're facing, even just managing our own team. So curious if you're seeing the same thing with patients that don't want to come in. You talked about the friend-to-friend thing, but... Patients who don't want to... Don't want to raise their hand still. Yeah, so... Like don't want to ask seek help. For sure, that is why we are working to solve the problem in different ways. If you're not willing to walk through the door at the counseling center on campus, will you download an app and talk to a provider that way? And take an even lighter step for the peer community that we talked about or navigating some self-care content. It's early, as you stated earlier on some of the things you were talking about, and so we're trying to identify where we're making impact in these areas. But there are strong indications 
that we are because we know that students who have not utilized other modalities of care are utilizing some of these new modalities that we're introducing. And I would say the organizations we deal with that are clear on what they're trying to solve, the 18,000 surge of patients in, in rural Pennsylvania, clear mission, clear objectives, and we could put together a plan and measure it. The ones, the partners and prospective partners are like, we know we have a problem. It's so broad. And we say, we could help here, we could help here, we could help here. They're like, yeah, we like all of that. But then they don't start anywhere. I don't know if you've seen that. Some some of the universities see the problem and they're just afraid to take the first step. They just tackle one or two and then make the next step and the next step. It's it's just that's the process that I'm seeing with prospective partners. We mentioned quite a few challenges that mental health care is facing with the workforce shortages. But the fact is that care is at least more vocal in a sense of what kind of solutions are out there. More organizations are looking into how to support their clients, employees with mental health. So from that perspective, I wonder how do you see you know, that the field as a whole is developing to which extent have we now, because of everything, figured out how to tackle this problem and to which extent do we still need to figure that out? That's a great question, and for years we've been talking about access to care, and we've TimeWMD was built in an effort to make sure that we provide quick access to care for students, and so we've made great progress there, and so more people, more students are talking to a provider sooner, and that has clear positive impact on their total health and well-being, but certainly their mental health. And so now we're in a time of looking deeper at how can, again, how can we continue to look at and measure the impact and make investments in the right areas to continue to push the needle? We're seeing consolidation happen in some of our space. I think that will continue as it is in any burgeoning market. The classic curve is happening. I do look around inside the health conference and wonder how many of these companies are going to be here next year? And to try to find the right ones, especially as we're looking for those digital partners, as we're talking about, we want to partner with one that's strong and healthy and, and where we're going. And I do wonder what the market is. The slowing of the market is, going, is slowing down the amount of money flooding in to fund all these organizations. And some of them are being exposed as the tide rushes out. Warren Buffett said it best. You know, when the tide rushes out, you see who wasn't wearing all their clothes. So which, one, which companies were built to last and which, one, which companies were only built to become a unicorn on paper only? And so we're trying to get through those. We're confident we're in the right spot. We're trying to find that next right partner. So I, th- I just think we're in that adoption curve. There's a lot of money being thrown at it. I wish I could give you a better answer. I don't know what the right answer is. I, I think we're probably still in the growth phase before we're peaking. Yeah, we're still escalating. I think it's a great answer because if you look at what's been happening in the last two years, it's on the digital therapeutic side, the market is maturing in the sense that now if you want to get funding or if you want to get users, you need clinical trials behind you and clinical data. At the same time, we've seen companies such as Cerebral that raised $400 million US dollars and reports from the employees came out that they were just hiring too fast. The nurse practitioners that were just for primary care, not specialized for psychiatry, were prescribing medication. So there was a lot of concern 
around the patient safety. And also the staff is fluctuating in that company, according to the media reports, with changes in layoffs. At the end of the day, also, for sure, a lot to, to figure out on that front. So we'll see what happens next year. Yeah, I'll say, too, states who have looked at their workforce and identified that two and four-year graduation rates are down, and that's negatively impacting that's negatively impacting the economic environment, right? And so they've the state of California did this years ago, and so they invested in funneling dollars into community colleges and other institutions to solve for that problem. Similarly, during COVID, a lot of the schools that we worked with they leveraged the higher education relief funds, and those were intended to solve partially for this problem for mental health. What we're seeing in change now is that the problem is still there. COVID is, it's still here, but the way that we were living with COVID is gone, is different. So now where those dollars are coming from is having to change. And so what we're seeing is the state is stepping up. Instead of from a federal perspective, the states are looking at how can we fund and solve this problem for students and who is solving for it, I think is changing Is it still a problem? Absolutely. Are we learning more and getting better about the way that we're building and measuring programs? Absolutely. All of this is progress. Yeah, it makes me think about our values. It's not like you're a very values-oriented company as well. And and one of the values that stands out is people above all else. And the other one is my favorite, and it's SLED. Suck less every day. And so we, as an organization, even though we have great NPS scores and we have great provider uh, engagement, great internal employee engagement, we know that we're, we need to improve every single day. And it's okay to make a mistake. Let's just make sure we're not making a mistake around patient safety. Let's make a mistake leaning forward, trying to help a patient, trying to help a partner, trying to help a teammate internally, and just continue to get better. It's a business of days, and we have to continue to drive every single day because the need is so great. And the most important decisions we're making are the markets not to go into yet because we're not ready. Like when, and what are we trying to solve? It's really important we stay appropriately focused because the problem is so large. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health, a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. Stay tuned, subscribe to the podcast to get new episodes automatically, and also check out our newsletter at fodh.substack.com. That's fodh.substack.com and see what we covered in the last month. Stay tuned.